Today, of course, is experiencing God's goodness, and it's out of Psalms 23. And the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. Or it says, I shall not want. Well, let me tell you, the Hebrew, if you study that, it says, I don't lack anything, I have all I need. So when you think about you're in the mully grubs and you think about all the things that you don't have, remember this. He said, I'm your shepherd and I have everything that you need. Now, verse 2 says, he makes me. Remember that we talked about? He makes me. Sometimes we can't do it on our own. That is to get rest. So God says, okay, I'll just create a little circumstance where you're going to have to sit in that lazy boy. You're going to have to lay down and get some rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. I'll tell you what that means. And then verse 3, he restores my soul. So we know that God says to us, in those scriptures, I want to give you rest, I want to give you refreshment, and I want to give you restoration. He makes me lie down, that's rest. Refreshment is he, he uh, makes me or he leads me beside still waters. And then he restores my soul. We are spirit, soul, and body. We are three parts that make us up. Your soul, if you're following along, is your mind, your will, and your emotion. It's also your soul is a part of you that thinks and chooses and feels. So your soul has to have an emotional barometer. You experience damage to your emotion and trauma or in different experiences when you become depleted emotionally and, and you're hurt emotionally or you're over-emotional in a certain situation. It's what happens is, is you look at your life and say, I really know what to do and I know that I want to do the right thing, but I don't seem to ever choose right. And sometimes I'm led by my emotion. And when you don't choose right, your chooser is broken. Here's what it means. We're all flawed. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. And those at home say, he's talking to you. We're all flawed. Nobody perfect. That's why there are addictions and why that we do things that we don't want to do. Because often... We're addicted. And you say, well, I'll count on willpower. How many of you know by a raised hand, willpower doesn't work all the time? Hello? I mean, you're trying to watch what you eat, and somebody brings a great big old beautiful cheeseburger before you freshly cook on a wonderful sesame seed bun with cheese and all the dressing and hot french fries and just drags it by you. And your willpower says... Forget you. Take one bite. You're dead. You're dead. I want to restore your mind. I want to restore your will. I want to restore your emotions to good positive help. I want to do something for you in your life right now. Whatever is in need of the ointment of the Holy Spirit, I want to do that for you. Now, how do we get bent out of shape? How do we get so far off track sometime? Well, let me give you one. It's unaddressed grudges. We have a grudge. You see, when you're resentful and when you're bitter, 
and you've been thinking about retaliation or revenge against somebody who hurt you, here's what happens. It damages, this is what it does, it damages your soul. Now, your soul is your spiritual makeup. It gets in the way of a smooth flow between you and God. It damages your soul. Amazing. The reality is we're all going to be hurt. And most of the time, the people that hurt us most are those that are close to us. We're all broken people. And sometimes we hurt somebody intentionally. We in our subconscious, I'm going to get even, and other times we do it unintentionally. And what happens? We begin to build grudges, and negativity begins to step in. The reality is, as you look at life, if you carry your emotions on your sleeve, sometimes good guys don't win. Sometimes you don't get the promotion. Sometimes you're the one that gets cut. Sometimes you get the pay reduction. Sometimes it's you that's overlooked. And other times, it's the bad guy that doesn't tithe, doesn't go to church, that gets the position, gets the increase, and gets the pat on the back. Why? Because it means that this world is broken, filled with injustice. It's a world of racism, prejudice, unfairness, all those things. The world is broken. And if you expect to build your life in a perfect world, it is not going to happen. But you can build it on this. You know that God is your shepherd. Jesus is your shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. I've got everything that you need. Everything, every, everything. So God says, I desire to restore your soul. And then he says to us, hey, when you're building grudges, here's what you need to do. Let it go. Would you say that after me? Let it go let it go just let it go you feel better already just saying it job chapter 5 verse 2 to worry yourself to death with resentment would be foolish senseless thing to do but he goes on and this is what he says you're only hurting yourself with anger when you built that resentment and got that grudge he said your will your soul knows what to do to forgive because resentment is worthless it's worthless so what do you do though do I just get hurt all the time do I do I not get to you know do I not get to load up you know locked and loaded once in a while do I get to do that nope why because one day this God of love and mercy is going to change hats and he's going to put on the hat of judgment. And when he puts on the hat of judgment, he will assume that responsibility. And every person that's ever hurt you, treated you unfairly, treated you unjustly, stepped on you, hurt you, God says, I will judge them. But he said, if you get engaged in doing the judging... And you walk around judging this and judging that and your feelings on your sleeve. Here's what he says. The Bible says God will judge by the measure of judgment that we passed on to others. He says, whoa, because everybody's going to get judged when it comes to judging you. How did you judge that person? I'm going to judge you with a greater measure than what you used. Martin Luther King said, bitterness 
is blindness. Now let me explain. Because I, I developed that. What does that mean? It means that when I am bitter, I am blind to other things. I can't see anything else because I'm driven by bitterness. I'm blind to the good that God has done in my life because I don't remember that. I'm just focused on the bitter. I'm blind to the truth that the Lord is my shepherd, but I can't see it because I'm just disturbed. I'm blind to the needs of people around me, and I'm blind to the fact that I'm never going to be happy or free, and I lean toward misery until I can say, I have put that under the blood. Number two, unconfessed guilt. Guilt, grudges and guilt are two big things that will harm you and I in this world that we live in today. Grudges have to do with what people have done to you. And guilt, on the other hand, is what you have done to other people. Unconfessed guilt. Nothing damages your life and your soul more than that. It'll rob you of, of your happiness. Many people have this misconception that God wants us to walk around guilty all the time. That's not what God desires. God loves to say, I will forgive your guilt. I'll forgive your sin. You don't have to have that. A couple Lady said to the preacher 10 years after they walked down the aisle and he performed the ceremony, she said to the pastor 10 years later, when I walked down in that beautiful white dress, I had no idea how much garbage I was bringing into my marriage. She said, and we began to identify that. You see, the purpose of marriage is not just to make you happy, but to make you holy. Because in that relationship, you get to work out all the splinters, all the little nasty things, all the things that bother you, you get to do it in that relationship. It will make you holy. Psalm 38, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm bowed down and I'm brought low and all day long I go about mourning couple problems with guilt it happens when we know we're not doing right how many know when you're not doing right may I see your hand how many know you're not doing right we know that Proverbs 20 says the Lord forgave us or the Lord gave us a mind and a conscience we can't hide from ourselves we can try to deny guilt we pretend that it doesn't exist and denial is a thing that'll keep you stuck in the guilt we try to bury it but it resurrects on opportune times. We can minimize it and say everybody does it. We can rationalize it. To rationalize means you yourself tell rational lies. I rationalize it. Well, you know what? Uh, Everybody's kind of engaged in it. Rationalization doesn't work. And then compromising. Well, I want you to know I used to feel guilty. I don't feel guilty anymore because the standard is lower and it's no longer a sin. So I, I just compromise it away. Well, and the sin still exists. Or we say, I want to blame somebody else. Because of my grudge, because of my bitterness, because of all of that, I'm going to blame other people. And you can, you can blame them. You see, until you decide to look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I've made mistakes. I've done wrong. And Lord, I'm asking you, put it under the blood. 
I'm going to apologize. I want to apologize and believe God for trust. Let me tell you what that means. In any relationship, a marriage, when someone says, I want to apologize and rebuild trust, and the partner who won't let them off the hook reminds them of what they did, and that actually, that kills a marriage one comment at a time. Blame doesn't work. You spell blame at Eagle Lake Elementary where I was raised, B. L-A-N-E. You with me? B-L-A. No, it's not B-L-A-M-E. But here's another way to spell it. B hyphen L-A-M-E. B lame. Here's what it says. When you blame everybody else, you are lame. You will never get full stride. You will never have smooth action. You'll never be able to rise above it because every time you turn around, you know what you need to do according to this book? I'm sorry. I blew it. I made a mistake. God, I'm looking to you. Forgive me because you are the good shepherd. And God said, it's forgiven. And then we know there is unprocessed grief. Grief. We, all of us have grief because we experience losses. Grief and the loss of a business, grief and the loss of a loved one, grief and the loss of a job. You know, there's no loss without pain and there's no pain without grief because grief is a good thing. Guilt is bad, grudges are bad, but grief is good. And it happens when we transition through life. It happens when we go through those. We learn to deal in stages with our grief. Psalm 31 says, Lord, have mercy because I am in misery. My eyes are weak from so much crying, and my whole being is tired from grief. But I remembered the Lord is my shepherd, and you have everything that I need. So, God, I will manage through my grief until it becomes healthy grief that I can say, God, I'm feeling that touch of difficulty and disappointment and loneliness. But I know this. You have everything that I need. Amen? What does Jesus do? He turns your hurt into holiness. In other words, God brings good out of your bad, and he brings good out of evil. He does that. Something bad happens, look out. 828 of Romans, we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those, here it is, who love him. Now, don't misread it. That is a promise, but it's not to every person. It's not to the person who pays no attention to God, who uses God like a crutch, who leans on God only when they need to, who uses, who uses God and takes for granted, takes him for granted. God said, that's not to you. He said, all things will work together for you if you are in love with me. That is the catch right there. You see... There are many bad things that are happening. And a lot of bad things happen because of our own stupidity of decisions. But God is always looking out for us and saying, have hope. Hope is based on certainty. Optimism is based on wishful thinking. There is hope and certainty in our future. So here's something else I want to challenge you to remember. God can take the bad things that people have done to you and use them for your good. You believe that? Let me say it again. God can take the bad things that people have done to you and use them for your good. 
You will miss that if you react with a behavior that is not becoming of a follower of Christ. Number two, God will take even your own sins and bring good out of them. You ever seen that happen? You were in trouble. You knew you were doing wrong. But what did God do? God said, I'll take your sin and I will turn it around and bring something good. I'll take your mistakes and bring good. I'll take your your difficulties and your weaknesses, your damaged will, your, your fried emotions, and I'll turn it around. Why? How does he do that? Romans 8, 29, after 28, God knew his purpose from the very beginning, and he planned in advance that all of us in God's family would be like Jesus, his own son. What does he want us to be? Not God, but godly. He said, I want you to spend eternity for me. So what's God doing with all these things? He is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. So when it's awry and you don't understand and you feel ill-treated, you feel betrayed, you feel stepped on, give God a chance to take that, to turn it in to something good. And God never promised to any of us that we're going to have, man, never have any challenges or difficulties, that we're not going to be confronted with grudge. We're not going to be confronted with grief. We're not going to be confronted with bitterness. All of those things are going to happen. Paul writes 829. All of those things make you to be fashioned after the character of God. What does that look like? It's in Galatians 523. The fruit of the Spirit, called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I say patience? Patience. What's God saying? I want to take you, and whatever happens to you, by whatever means that it happens, whatever loss that might happen, whatever door that opens that give you the opportunity to rant and rave, however you might be hurt, etc., God says, if you'll pay attention, my goal is to take that. And to turn it into something good that will benefit you if you listen carefully. So here's what he says. Romans 8, 29, God knew his purpose from the very beginning and he planned in advance that all of God's family would become like Jesus, his son. Now, God's son is the firstborn of restored humanity We see the intended shape of our lives in him, and he will have many brothers and sisters in God's eternal family. So he says, stop complaining. Stop murmuring. Start just crying. Stop stop giving it fuel. It's making you bitter. Let God make it better. Joseph Joseph was sold by his brothers, told his dad he's dead as a hammer, torn to shreds by animals. Here's his little old coat that we despise. It's got blood on it. Daddy, but Joseph is no more. He's a vapor. He's gone. Well, well, guess what? Joseph had the perfect opportunity to say, I've been done in. I've been slapped around. I've been lied about. I've been sold. And of course, he goes to Potiphar's household. His wife tries to take him on. And Joseph said, get away from me. 
And they go through that process, and years and years and years and years, Joseph, Joseph could never deny the fact that his brothers just didn't like him. He couldn't deny the fact that he was in, in slavery. He couldn't deny the fact that he was in Pharaoh's household. But listen, God's been where the slaves are. God's been where the imprisoned are. God's been where the emotional damaged are. God's been and still exists in whatever area you have need of, God is there. And Joseph leaned on the Lord. So when beginning, he had a voice that came from the Lord, and God said, the famine is coming. Joseph, here's what you're going to need to tell Pharaoh when he asks, and you're going to make a way where there is no way because you have been obedient. And so, in fact, when the famine hit, Joseph had said, we need to get prepared for it. Pharaoh and his household was prepared for it, and eventually his brothers. Oh, I love it when God takes those that have done you wrong and brings them back. We need some food, sir. We need some food. We need help. Joseph wept. And he said, you intended to hurt me, you bunch of buzzards. He didn't say that. You intended to harm me, but my shepherd, God, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done to save many, many lives. Who are you? I'm Joseph, the one you thought wasn't worth living. Friend, that's the kind of people we need to be in these days. We need to have that kind of spirit. Why? What does God do? How many has ever sinned more than one time? Come on, get them up. Some of you, I mean, your mask is not holding your arm down. How many sinned more than one time? How many think you're going to send some more? Oh, yeah. If you're breathing, you're going to send more. That's right. Jesus takes my sins on himself. Unbelievable. He said, I'm going to take your guilt. I'm going to die on the cross, and I'm going to pay for your sins. What do we call the gospel? The old English word for the gospel is good news. I'm bringing you good news that my goodness resting on you is called my righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And so we know that it would happen for him to perform so that you and I can have the liberty to say, I'm free and I am forgiven, I am saved, I am born again. 700 years before it happened, Isaiah the prophet prophesied it and said there will be a day. He didn't know how many years, but it was 700 years later. You could go back to Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 53. He was wounded and crushed for our sins, beaten, and he took on our punishment so that we might have peace. And through his wounds, our wounds, we are healed. All of us have strayed like sheep. We have left God. God's path to follow our own, yet, 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 the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of all. 
That's been 2,700 plus years ago since it happened. 700 years before it happened, Isaiah said that it would. And when other religions say you got to do this, 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 this in order to get some peace, when Jesus said it's finished, you can say this, it meant he, it's done. It's done. You don't ever have to deal with death again. You don't have to deal with sin. Sin is forgiven. Liberty is there. I am your shepherd. I have whatever you need if you learn to just call on me. Jesus heals our heart. He heals the brokenhearted. So Paul writes and said, okay, everybody, Ephesians 4.30, get rid of all bitterness, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. So he said, bring it to Jesus. And then Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus, come unto me, all you that are weary and carry a heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. Amen. And you won't have to worry. So we're in a very crucial stage in our nation, much difficulty that's there. But you know, sin and all kinds of differences of opinion have existed a long, long, long time. But here's what I know. He's still the shepherd, and he still is able to bring a resolve if we honor him first and trust in him. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you're at home, and maybe you're here. Maybe you're watching in your car. Maybe a few of you have gathered around. But you just listen to me, and would you repeat this prayer after me? Let's pray it together. Would you do that? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. I need your help. I have sinned. I've made mistakes. I've had bitterness. I've had heavy burdens that have weighted me down. I've made bad choices. But this morning... I'm believing that I am forgiven because you died for me on the cross of Calvary. I claim this as my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just, let's set a few moments, take one more worship, and I'll be right back before you leave today. Let's worship with this song. See it. 
Amen. You might be uh, seated for just a few more minutes, and thank you for pulling the house lights up. Uh, you know, we have been doing a lot of praying over the challenges that we see in our world today, um, and the challenges as it relates to COVID-19, and that created a huge vacuum, and then of the difficulties that we're facing with the crisis and uh, racial injustice and, and those kind of things. Uh, I, I, I met with a private conversation with the chief of police this week and also had a private conversation with Sheriff Judd uh, quite a while this week and talked to quite a few people in different parts of the nation on what's going on in, in their community, in their city. I, I can tell you this, I, I believe this, that Jesus Christ is the answer to every problem facing the world today. He is. Now, now that being said, I think there are strategies that need to be developed that causes us to do better than what we have done in the past. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said, um, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or admit to do and more in the light of what they've suffered. Sarah Desson said, accepting all the good and bad about someone is a great thing to aspire to. The hard part is actually doing it. Tennessee Williams said, I think that hate is a feeling that can only exist where there is no understanding. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I would challenge anyone this this week. Whatever amount of time you spend on media, social media, and watching the news, spend the same amount of time in this book. I can tell you, it'll change. So I'm going to coach us because my part is to pastor and to love, but also to say, before we get into trouble, that we just need to be reminded of who we are. I am a born-again believer, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am to love all men, regardless of race, color, creed, whether they're my enemies or not. I am to love them. As a pastor, my job is to coach these wonderful groups that are here, our sheep, this congregation, and say, let me help you. When I notice Facebook and social media and other things, whatever you say on social media, you see, social media is and can be abused. If you're a Christian, I don't care who you are, it's easy to rant and to rave. It's easy to throw your opinion out there because that's just the way it is. It's easy to do all those things. But you know what? 
Whatever you do, do it in word or deed. Do it as unto the Lord. Pray over something before you post it. Because you see, the reality is you could hurt someone that you don't even know. You could hurt someone that, you know, is challenged and you can't figure out why. You can bring grief to someone who's a fellow believer who would like to hear your voice of encouragement and praise as opposed to a voice that seems to condemn and brings judgment. So on those posts, when you post them, you have a perfect right. Post whatever you want to, I guess, but not as a Christian. And not as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. We have accountability to God. And if you're a part of Victory Church, you have accountability to your brothers and sisters right here. Do you realize how many times I get called on to make statements? How many times I get called on for this radio quote or this television quote? Do you realize how many times? Do you know how many times that I'd like to just say, well, buddy, this is my opportunity. I'm going to let it rip. But once you say it and it's out, you can't take it back. And I'm just determined if it doesn't heal, it doesn't cause us to reconcile, it doesn't cause us to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to be very careful about what I say and do because I'm accountable to you. Well, I like my preacher to tell it like it is. Come on and go to church here. You'll find out that's what this preacher does. But this pulpit will never be used for someone's personal agenda in a political arena. This pulpit is used to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. I want everybody I know to give their heart to Jesus Christ. I prayed. God, help us. So I'm asking you to, to be careful. I'm asking you to be careful to get to know and don't formulate your opinion by, by what you hear on the news. Just don't do that. Paul writes in Philippians 4, finally, brothers, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, whatever's lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And then he says, be kind in Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God has forgiven to you. And then Matthew 7, Jesus is on it here. Don't you judge. You too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a two by four in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You want to know what our platform is? Simple. Victory Church's platform is to know Christ and make Him known. So, that old phrase that we hear, don't ever judge somebody until you walked a mile or whatever in their shoes. I admit to you, I have a lot to learn.
I have a lot that I need to get to know. I don't understand. I'm learning. For example, learning when I see a homeless person at a junction to say, I don't know what got them there. Rather than saying, won't you get out of there and go get you a job and get cleaned up down at Lighthouse or Salvation Army, there are plenty of jobs out there, go do something. I don't know how they got there. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything that I can as a follower of Jesus Christ to make a path whereby wherever they're at, they can make a path to Jesus Christ. And that's what we are supposed to do. So I'm asking you to pray. And then before you post or say, and you join with a crowd, you take it to Jesus. Lord, here's what I think I'm about to. This is what I think I'm about to say when I'm about to post. But I want to take it to you in prayer. And then, Lord, if you give me permission to post it, I'm going to post it. Until then, whatever you post, whatever's good, of good report, post that and see what God will do. For we believe that that day will come. Well, what do you think about the present circumstances right now, Pastor? I think it's difficult. I think, I think people are not praying. Well, I want my church to speak up. I just did. But then after that, we are developing a strategy of say, what can we do better to love on everybody, to understand all the different races that we have here in Victory Church, to understand what that means. And with the grace of God, we're going to do just that. So I love you. I just hope you'll take this. Hope you love me. If you don't, I've got the number to Mayflower. And I uh, and hope the rapture comes first. Would you stand? Father, we thank you now. Bless, minister. We'll be back next. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday night. We'll be back next Sunday. You help us, Lord. Minister, meet every single need, and we'll praise you for it. And everybody said, amen. I would tell you to hug next. I can't do it. Just leave. God bless.